I've had a fascination over the last decade or so with the idea of change and how people change and how we grow. Part of it is a professional fascination. My job, and at least the part that you guys see the most often when I'm up here, is to dig into the scripture and understand God's word and understand the culture and the context in which it was written and to pull the truth out of that and, and deliver it to you guys every week and, and, and teach on it and build a bridge between what God teaches in his word and what our culture believes. So on, there's two things I really need to do there, understand the scripture and its context and understand where our culture is at. So I'm constantly thinking about what do people believe, what are people caring about, where are people at right now, where, where am I at with things, what's going on in the world, kind of thinking through all of that stuff, looking at the best that psychology has to offer of, of what do we know about the human mind. And I've been on this quest to figure out how can I help people change. I want to come alongside and help people change. I don't want to be interesting. I want to be useful and helpful to people. So it's been a professional quest of mine to figure out how we change. It's also been a personal quest of mine. When I was 34 years old, I decided to run in the Monument Avenue 10K, not because I love running or had ever loved running, but because it's the Monument 10K, and it's like a thing, and I was like, oh, my wife was like, let's go run, and I'm like, okay, and so we get out there, and I start practicing, and I start, you know, getting my mileage up and working on it, and I was getting really sore in my knee, and, and it was like, man, after about two or three miles, like, man, this really hurts, like, what's going on? So I went to the doctor, and I said, hey, you know, I, I want to run, but my knee just gets really sore, and the doctor said to me, how about you work out? To which I responded, how about you work out? <laughs> no, I didn't, but I wanted to. Because uh, I'm like, hey, buddy, you work out. You know, like, what? And he's like, you know, you can lift weights. I'm like, they're really heavy. Like, I don't, like, don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I kind of went through that thing. And you maybe have done that before. And I, and I just thought, oh, this is the first time I've gone into a doctor and the doctor says that exercise is the answer to what is wrong with me. I bet this is going to happen again in my life. This sounds like a cliche, like, oh, here we go. So it begins. So I started down the road of exercising, did 90 days workout this, P90X and the, this workout and this thing. And, and then once you get into that, then you start thinking about your eating and eating better. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a 30 days of this and no carbs and no sugar and low carbs and no fun and no alcohol and no, like I did all of these things. I've tried all, I've tried this stuff, okay? I've experimented with all these things to figure out how does my body respond to these things? How's my energy level? All of that kind of stuff. How's my sleep? All of those things. I've looked at those things and from time to time I've hit a wall. I'm not changing the way I want to. Uh, Why aren't I changing? And that's driven me deeper into this idea of change and growth. And it's not just diet and exercise. It's things like reading, my faith. I want to pray consistently this many minutes a day, or I want to read through the New Testament, or I want to read this book a chapter a night. And, And when I set those goals and I don't do them, I start digging deeper. What is going on? Why don't I do the things I say I want to do? Why why aren't I changing at a rate which I'd like to be changing? And so over the last few years, I've been digging into that, and I've been learning a ton, and I want to share it with you in the course of this series that, we're, that we started last week called Rewrite Your Future. And, and here's, here's what I've learned. There are two major reasons why people change. Not like change your hair color or change minor things, but significant changes of your behavior, your life, or whatever. People change for two reasons. Number one, the pain of staying the same is too great. It just hurts too much to stay where you are, and so you shift to something else. And if you look back over your life and you look at goals that you were shooting for that you didn't hit, 
the reality is it probably staying where you are wasn't that painful or it wasn't painful enough. You say, I want to lose 20 pounds, but having that extra 20 pounds wasn't costing you enough. It didn't hurt enough for you to really make the move. You you can see this all over. You can see this in medicine. Uh, At the Global Health Forum back in 2005, a man named Dr. Edward Miller, who was the dean at uh, Johns Hopkins uh, Johns Hopkins University and College, uh, the, 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 the hospital there, uh, he taught at this Global Health Forum, and he talked about uh, coronary bypasses. The 600,000 people get a coronary bypass a year. And he was looking at the statistics, and this is what he shared back in 2005. He, he basically said, look, people get these bypasses, but then uh, they're told, all the patients are told, look, your arteries are clogged. If you don't want to be back here again in six months or a year after this bypass, you're going to need to change your behavior. You're going to need to eat or drink differently. You're going to need to do some different things with your lifestyle. And, and, and basically, patients are told, change or die. And you would think if, if someone came to you, if a doctor said to you, change or die, you'd think you'd change, right? I would too, man. The doctor says it straight up, you're to change or die. I'm going to change, right? I, whatever it is, okay, I'll change. I don't want to die. You'd think that if a doctor told you that, that's what you would do. But listen to the numbers. This is what he said from the stage. If you look at people after coronary artery bypass grafting, two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. And that's been studied over and over and over again. And so we're missing some link in there. Even though they know they have a very bad disease and they know they should change their lifestyle for whatever reason, they can't. People are told to their face, and maybe you've heard this from a doctor, change or die, and maybe you changed. But generally speaking, people are told to their face, change or die, and nine out of ten people go, okay, die. Why would you do that? I don't know, maybe the pain of staying the same just isn't great enough to you yet. Oh, I got the pill, I got the bypass, I got the thing, I'll be fine. The pain isn't real to you yet. Or... For a lot of people, if you say change or die, there's a lot of people that would go, maybe not consciously, but what they would kind of say is, that's fine, I'll die. I don't, I don't enjoy life that much anyway. I have nothing to look forward to. I have no hope. I have nothing off in the future that I'm, that I'm working towards. Die sounds okay. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, die sounds better than changing how I'm eating. So that really, that's the two main reasons people change. The pain of staying the same is too great. Or two, they have a clear, compelling vision for their future that pulls them forward. I want to go somewhere. I want to do something. I want to become something. That pulls people forward and, and helps them change. This series, Rewrite Your Future, that we started last week, is going to address both of those motivations for change. First of all, this month, I want to get very clear on our current reality. Very clear on, on the, the pain of staying the same. Very clear on why do you do what you do now. Let's be honest about it. Let's get real about it. Why are we doing the things that we do? Because we lie to ourselves. We're kidding ourselves about some things. So we're going to spend a couple weeks, last week, this week, and then next week, getting into your brain on this. And then we're going to talk about forgiveness, which is another piece about why are you stuck where you are And then in July, we're going to go to that second piece, get a clear, compelling vision for your future. Where are you going? And how do you get there? What does it look like to really be clear about what you want out of life and and what God is calling you and where God is calling you to to go or or what ways God is calling you to grow? In in, in some ways, it's a little bit like when you go to the mall. If you go to the mall and you're looking for a particular store, let's say you're just going in there to find the Apple store or whatever, uh, you really need two things. You walk up to the directory at the mall, and, and you go, okay, where's the layout of the stores? And, and you need two things. Number one, 
you need to know where's the store I'm looking for. So I'm going there for the Apple store. Okay, where's the Apple store? You got to clear, okay, there's the Apple store. That's where it's going to be. And then the second thing you need is that X that's on the map that says you are here, right? You need to know where you're starting from and then where are you going. I can get a very clear vision of the Apple store. It's, 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 it's white all over the walls. Like, there's pretty things, expensive, you know, they got power cables that cost $30 on the wall. They got, it's whatever. I, I can get a vision of what the Apple store looks like. But a, a clear, compelling vision may not be enough. I also need to know where am I in relation to that so that we can get to where we, we, we want to go. So how do you find out where you are, honestly? Uh, if you want to rewrite your future and have a different future than what, what you've been up until this point, you're going to have to do some thinking, some, the heavy lifting of, of thinking about your thinking. Because all of us have a tendency to get into a mental rut. And I heard someone say, a rut is just a grave with the ends kicked out. And so we get into these mental ruts, and so we, we have to think um, ab- about our thinking. So here's the first principle I want you to give, and if you're the kind of person who writes things down or takes notes in the app or whatever, you want to you notice this. Number one, our actions correlate with how the world occurs to us. The things we do, our actions, that will correlate to how the world occurs to us. Now you might say, well, duh, but the reality is we don't live as if that's true. We think our actions correlate to how the world is which is not the same thing as our actions correlate to how the world occurs to us. We think, oh man, this is just the way it is. That's why I do whatever. But here's a simple way to think of it. If you have coworkers, or let's say you have employees, or let's say you're working on a group project and they made you the leader or whatever, or let's say you have children, and you give instructions to that other group of people and you say, do this, fill out this report by five o'clock on Friday, clean your room by 9 a.m., whatever it is, you put that out there, And then the person you put that out there to doesn't do the thing you said. And you sort of go, what's going on? How could I have been more clear? Like I said, this is what we're going to do. And our actions, uh, you know, they should correlate to what I said. But the other person's actions did not correlate to what you said. They correlated to how it occurred to them how serious they thought you were, whether you really meant it this time, whether it really, how important that was, how they were balancing other priorities. Obviously, this isn't that big of a deal, then I, therefore I'm going to push, push this off. We are all behaving according to how the world occurs to us. And so what we need to do is, first, to get into a habit of asking, how is this occurring to me? Like when you're stressed, when you're angry, when something's going on, when you're facing a situation at work, at home, with your friends, in sports, in school... When you're facing a situation that's got you riled up, you're feeling something inside, take a moment, stop, breathe, and ask the question, why is this occurring to me this way? How is it occurring to me, and why is it occurring to me this way? That's huge. It's critical to understand because your thought life, that that deeper stuff, what's going on in there, that shapes who you will become. Your thought life forms your character and shapes your heart. In fact, Dale Carnegie is sort of a success guru from a generation past. Dale, Dale Carnegie uh, says it. Let's see if I can get this up. Hello. Come on, quote. Do I want to do that? Oh, now it's this way. This is occurring to me sideways is how this is occurring to me. Um, yes. There it is. Magic. Dale Carnegie says this. By far, the most important lesson I have ever learned is the importance of what we think. If I knew what you think, I would know what you are. Our thoughts make us what we are. Our mental attitude is the X factor that determines our faith. 
Emerson said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. How could he possibly be anything else? I know now with a conviction beyond all doubt that the biggest problem that you and I have to deal with is choosing the right thought. If we can do that, we will be on the high road to solving all of our problems. The great philosopher who ruled the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, summed it up in eight words. Our life is what our thoughts make it. Our thinking is going to shape our future. Our thinking will form our heart and our character and will drive our feelings and our actions. And so we have to investigate that stuff. We have to get into it. Proverbs 23, 7 in, in, the, in the King James, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Same idea, that you are your, your thought life. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to, to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, uh, also addresses this idea. And it's sort of a famous verse here. Let me read it to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, look, you don't worship God by burning animals and in sacrifices like people worship the gods back in the day. Here's how you're going to worship God. You're going to present your life to him. You're going to give him your all. You're going to put yourself onto that altar and say, God, whatever you want, I'm here. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. The, the, the thought process, the pattern, the thinking of the world. Our culture has a way of thinking about all sorts of issues. Go down the line about political, social, moral issues. Our culture says this, and Paul says, don't conform to it. Think about it. Be transformed. Renew your mind. Fill it with what God wants for you. Think about your thinking. Think about your thought process. Think about how it all occurs to you. And notice how it occurs to you. Now, how do we, how do we notice how the world is occurring to us? Well, we're going to do an exercise for that, and I think uh, it was fun first service. Hopefully, you'll think it's fun. Everybody stand up. I'm going to have you meet everybody around you in just a second, okay? You're going to meet everybody that you're sitting next to. All right, and I'm going to have you do it a certain way. I've got a special thing I want you to do when you meet people. Okay, first of all, before I even get into it, let's talk about this and take a pause here for a second. Notice how you already feel about the exercise that I'm about to have you do. For some of you, you're like, I love meeting people at church. This is going to be great. In fact, she's kind of cute. I was hoping to meet her anyway. You're like, uh, you know, you're sitting there like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to meet people around me. I love it when they do this in church, you know. For others of you, you're thinking, I don't want to talk to anybody. I can't believe he's going to make me meet people around me. I hate this. Others of you are thinking, maybe this is the time I should go to the bathroom. If I can just <laughs> sneak out of here, he's, no one's going to know, and I'll just get there, and I'll get back, and I'm going to miss out on this whole thing, right? So, just notice, no judgment. I'm not, saying, I'm not judging any of those attitudes are right or wrong. Just notice that you're having those thoughts right now. Notice that that's occurring in your head. And then think about this. The actual exercise that I'm going to give you, the way it occurs to you is almost already decided in your head right now. You don't even know what I'm going to tell you to do, how I'm going to do it, but you've almost already decided it's going to be this and I don't like this. And my guess is if you think this exercise is going to be painful, it will be painful to you. Because you've already thought that's how it's going to, you're, you're, you're making that real. This is how it's going to occur to me, right? So just notice that as we get into it. Okay, here's the exercise. I want you to introduce, your, I'm going to give you a minute, I want you to introduce yourself to as many people around you as you can, but instead of saying your name, I want you to say what kind of car you drive. 
And if you don't drive a car, just say I walk or I take the bus or I ride a bike or whatever. You know, you know whatever. Or say I, I don't, whatever. Uh, instead of your name, I want you to say what kind of car you drive. Hi, nice to meet you. My name is Toyota Sienna. And then I want you, instead of saying what you do for a living, and I work at, I want you to say what you had for breakfast. So for me, I would say, hey, my name is Toyota Sienna, and I work at Eggs. Okay? That's that kind of thing, all right? I want you to do that with as many people as you can for a minute. Ready, set, go. All right, there's your minute, let's go. Let's go, bring it in. All right, listen up. Okay, Kate, all right, first of all, as I look around the room and see what's going on, there's a couple of you who are like, I'll do this with one person, then I'm done, and so you're hanging back. So just notice how it occurred to you is, I, I, I don't have to do this really for a minute, I just have to do this the minimal amount, and then, I, and then I'm done. That's fine, not, it's not a judgment call, I'm just saying notice what, what went on there. But let's also notice what you thought about while this is going on, because there's the thing that's going on, then there's how it's occurring to you. And so how many of you, I mean, you want, we don't have to raise hands on this, but how many of you, when someone said the, the kind of car they had, you like started judging their lifestyle? You're like, you know, or like, for better or worse, you're just like, oh, Mercedes, things are good. Yes, things are, <laughs> things are going well for you, I see, you know, or oh, no, no car, okay, I guess, you know, how many of you thought that, or how many of you went, like, had nothing for breakfast this morning, and so when you introduce someone, so you, to, when you introduce yourself, you said, and I work at nothing, and that felt pretty good to you. You were like, yes, yes, this, I can get into this. All right, have a seat. What I want you to see there is that there's a conversation going on in your head all the time, and until you notice it and get a hold of it, you're not going to change much, because that stuff spins that information at all times and, and, and kind of grabs hold of the facts and starts working them through the way your brain goes. In fact, there's a word we, we call for this. This is your machinery. Your brain has this machinery. Your machinery is the default, habitual way that you process the world. Information comes in, you spin it a certain way, and then, and then that's how you react to it. That's how it occurs to you. And it's not all bad. Machinery is very helpful. It's the way you can quickly make decisions when you need to under pressure, uh, that, that your brain would quickly grab information and go somewhere with it. That's not a bad thing. But the trick here and the key is to notice what's going on. Notice how things occur to you. Listen to that voice in your head. Why is, why, what is it telling you and, and, and Why? Um, the hu- human beings receive, I, I read this, I thought this was really interesting. Right now, your brain is processing between two and four million bits of information per second. 
You think, how could I possibly process that much information? Well, it's, it's all around you. It's, it's stimulus from your body. It's how the chair feels. It's how the floor feels. It's the noise in the room. It's my voice and what it means and the inflection and tone and the person sitting next to you and someone coughs. And all of these things put together, two to four million bits of information are happening and your brain is recording uh, every second. But the reality is you can only consciously process about 138,000. So what you're experiencing, what you're, what you're processing right now is 2 to 5% of what's actually going on around you. It's pretty crazy, right? Like, so what that should tell us is at best you're getting a very small picture of the world at all times. Your perspective is, I see it this way, a little tiny sliver, a little narrow view. All of us have that, and, and that's okay. Your machinery works and processes very quickly, and it can be very helpful to you. You can take a mental shortcut on things, and you can react quickly, and you can stay safe. But your machinery can also lie to you, and it can tell you things about the world, about other people, about the situation, whatever. It can tell you things that aren't true. And one of the reasons we don't change is because we believe the lies that our brain tells us. You have to get honest about where you are if you're going to get where you want to go. You have to locate the X on the map if you're going to get to the Apple store. You, you, you've got to be honest and, and recognize the lies. So let me give you some examples. A lot of people say, hey, I want to get up early and exercise. I'm, gonna get, I'm setting the alarm for 5 a.m. This is a very January thing to do, by the way. So in January, you go, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. I'm going to go to that gym. And that lasts for a little while, and then you stop doing it. And, and, and maybe eventually what you'll say is, maybe three months later or a year later or whatever, somewhere in your adult life, you'll say something like, I'm just not a morning person. And you'll say that to yourself, and you'll say that to other people. And people will nod, yeah, me neither, I'm not a morning person. But here's the reality of that. It's a lie, and it's a lie you tell yourself, and it's a lie you tell other people. Because scientifically, there's never been anything proved that people are morning people or not morning people. Now, you're going to go find an article on the internet to prove me wrong. Fine. There's articles for everything, but that's right. But, and to which I would ask you, why do you want to be right about that? But okay. Um, you're not a morning person. And, and so, so if you believe that and your brain tells you, hey, you're just, Chris, you're just not a morning person. That's why you don't get up. If you believe that and you accept that, you're not going to do the work of figuring out what's really going on there. Because what's really going on there is maybe you're not sleeping well at night, so it's hard to get up in the morning. Maybe the reason you're not sleeping well at night is because you're not eating well. And maybe you're not eating well because you're under some other kind of stress. Or maybe you're on screens late at night and it's hijacking your brain's natural production of melatonin to help you sleep or whatever. But as long as you tell yourself, I'm not a morning person, you're going to walk around in a fog and you'll never really be clear about where you are. Because your brain is lying to you. And you're going to repeat that to yourself and you're going to lie to other people about it. Let me give you an example of another one. How many of you know someone who's chronically late? Or how many of you are the person who's chronically late? I don't know. It might be you. So you're in a meeting at work and everyone wants to be there at 9 and like 9, 10, person rolls in, you know, and like you've seen this person, right? They're like, out there, damn, they're just like, oh, oh man. And they just come in and they're like, man, I'm telling you guys, 64, it was ridiculous. There was an accident, and I was trying to be here on time, but yes. And like once, okay, like 10 times, you know, like how many accidents are there? And you notice something when they're talking about 64 and why they're late. That's what they're holding in their hand. They're holding a Starbucks cup. And you're like, hey, wait a second. 
you went to Starbucks. <laughs> so let's talk about what's really going on here. Because I think you're lying to yourself and us. What's really happening is that you would rather have coffee than be here on time. Like, rather than respect our time of when the meeting starts, you would rather have that coffee. That's what's going on. Let's be honest about it. Now, you're going to sit there and be like, Chris, I can't say that in a meeting. Like, that's really harsh, right? And maybe it, it occurs to you as harsh. Maybe so. But maybe it sounds harsh because we're not used to honesty. Maybe it only sounds harsh because we're used to polite dishonesty. No, no, it's okay when it's not. No, I just want to be nice when you really don't want to be nice. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> In the South, right? You just mean this person's an idiot, but okay, bless his heart. You know, like we're used to polite dishonesty. So whenever we hear real honesty, it sounds harsh. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that I'd rather have coffee than be here on time. Well, maybe that's what's really going on. But until you get honest about where you are, you're not going to be able to move or, or you, won't, you won't change. It might not surprise you to know that I think Jesus Christ was all over this stuff. His Sermon on the Mount, recorded in the book of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, his teachings there have endured for millennia. And not just because people like me get up and talk about it, but I think there's so much truth there. And Jesus really digs at us, our hearts, our motive, our will, the stuff underneath the surface. He's not content to just talk about our behaviors. He wants to get into why are you doing the things that you do? Think about your thinking. Think about how it occurs to you. So many examples. Let me just give you a couple. Matthew 5, verse 21. Listen to what he says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying, okay, cool. You don't murder anyone. You know the laws. Thou shalt not murder. You don't murder anybody. And you're not murdering someone, and you think your heart is right before God or before other people. But it's not. How big of a deal is it to not murder someone? Some of you are like, well, until I've had my coffee, it's pretty hard to not murder someone. But, right? but how big of a deal is it to not murder someone? Big deal, Jesus says. You need to think about what's going on underneath your anger. Why are you angry with someone? What's going on there? How is that occurring to you? Let's think about your thinking a little bit. Let's dig down deeper into the action, the external behaviors. So he, he pokes at this. Another one, Matthew 5, a couple verses later. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. People are walking around going, I don't cheat on my spouse, I'm awesome. And Jesus goes, big deal. The problem is in deeper than that. The problem's in your heart. The problem's in your thoughts. The problem's in the way things occur to you. What is going on underneath the surface there if we drill down? And underneath the surface, if you're still looking at someone with lustful intent, you're still desiring to have them, this is where the problem starts. This is where the issue is. And it's not just about sin things. It's about maybe some positive things we do. Later on in the same sermon, he says this, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Jesus says, look, you're being generous. Cool. You give to charity. Great. You give to church. Great. You're doing good things. But you got to think about your thinking. You got to think about what's going on underneath your brain, your heart, your motive, your will. What's happening there? If, if your desire is, I want to give so that people will think well of me or so that I will be seen, he's like, God can see through that. Now your generosity is not about being generous and having a generous heart welling up out of you. Now your generosity is about your own pride. Now your generosity is about how awesome you are. And that's missing the point too. And what's worse is you will wander around in a fog if you think that what you're doing is being generous. You will, you will kid yourself. You will actually be a hypocrite because you're doing this stuff with all the wrong motives and you don't really believe, you know, you kind of believe one thing but you're acting in a different way. You're gonna be a hypocrite and you won't notice because you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're checking the right boxes and, and following on the externals when your heart, your thought, your motives, your will, all of this is, is disordered. And so what do we do about all that? How do we, how do we wrestle with that? How do we think about our thinking? Well, first step, I think, and you see this a little bit in the exercise we did. First step is this. Number one, notice what you notice. Think about what you're choosing to think about. See what you're seeing. Because every way of seeing a situation is also a way of not seeing it. We quickly latch on something. We see something. We say, that's the truth. That's the way it is. And it may not be. It might just be that's the way it's occurring to you. And so when you feel anxious, upset this week, stop and breathe and say, and notice what you notice. Stop and breathe and say, why is this occurring to me this way? What's going on? What are, what are the facts in front of me and, and what am I adding to those facts? Which is really the second part of this. If number one is notice what you notice, the second thing we need to do is honestly interrogate the story we are telling ourselves. You and I are meaning-making machines. Our brain does this quickly, naturally. We add meaning to all sorts of facts. We pull four or five facts together and we put a story around it. And sometimes that's very helpful. And sometimes it's not. We add meaning and it's helpful if you can think through, okay, what am I noticing here and what is the story that I'm telling myself about what this means? Because that's a huge part of life. If you want to get a hold of how things occur to you, you need to notice the story that you tell yourself. Notice the meaning that you're adding to a situation. If you drive behind someone who's too slow, you're driving along, and, they're, and I'm not saying they're going too slow over the speed limit, but too slow below the speed limit, you know? You're driving behind them, and you're like, oh, this guy, you know? What? Come on, let me get around, you know, and you drive by and you're like, oh, why are they taking so long, you know? So the meaning you add to that, the facts are they're driving slowly. The meaning you add is it's too slow, which is, in, which is a statement of meaning, right? You're, you're, that's an interpretation. It's not too slow to them. It's great. It may feel very comfortable to them. It's too slow, and they are fill in the blank, distracted, playing with their kid in the back seat, not focused on their driving, fiddling with the radio, probably texting, uh, and, uh, or they're a bad driver, or if you look at their license plate, you're like, they're not from around here, or whatever. Like, this is all the meaning you add to the story. The only fact is they're driving slowly, and it's slower than you would like. And then you add all this meaning to it, right? We do that kind of stuff 
all the time. We take limited information and we start piecing it all together and, and we add a story to it. If you want to see people do this, just look around online for a few minutes on social media. We take a few facts. The president said this. Congress did this. this the prime minister said this. This thing happened. We take those facts. We don't have time to investigate them all. It's too complicated, a lot of it. We don't know all this thing behind it. We don't know who said what to where. We, like, who, can, who can track that stuff? We got to work. We got to families and whatever, dating. There's just other things going on in the world. We take a couple facts, and then we add a whole bunch of meaning to it. They said this. Therefore, the world is going to end. My life's going to be over. I'm going to be out of a job, whatever. We add meaning to a few facts all the time. And the trick is notice it and be honest with yourself. Why are you doing that? Why do you... You seem so committed to this X being true. Why do you even want it to be true? What's going on there? Like, why? Why do you care? What, what's, what's going on? That's the stuff, man. That's the stuff of transformation. So when your spouse doesn't do the dishes, rather than assume they're lazy, think about why it occurs to you that way and think about what's going on there. When the teacher gives you a bad grade, rather than think the teacher hates you, think about what's going on there. Why did it occur to you that way? Think about the meaning that you're adding to all sorts of situations. Our brains quickly want to help us look good, feel good, be right, and be in control. That's our survival skills. When the chips are down, you want to look good, feel good, be right, and be in control. And that's true whether you consider yourself a control freak or not. This is what, this is what our brains will help you do. So if you can find a, a fact that makes you feel good or it makes you be right or justified, awesome. We'll grab those all day long and post them and back them up and like them and and whatever because we want to look good, feel good, be right, and be in control. And our transformation will happen when we're willing to not be right, when we're willing to be a little out of control, when we're willing to do some things that aren't going to feel good, when we're going to do some things that might make us not look so good. That's where the change happens. If we're going to rewrite our futures, it's going to start with our thinking and our, and our thought life. One of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, says it this way. Our thoughts are one of the most basic sources of our life. They determine the orientation of everything we do and evoke the feelings that frame our world and motivate our actions. So if you could put that on layers, actions, that's what I can see you do. Feelings, that's what you're feeling underneath that motivates the action that I sometimes can see and sometimes I can't. Underneath that, thoughts, attitudes, beliefs. What do you believe that made you feel that way, that made you do that thing? If all you notice is what you did, or maybe you're aware of a feeling, you're not going to get at what's really going on. You can, you can change all your circumstances. You can say, that diet didn't work for me, I'm going to do a new one. Uh, that gym wasn't good, I wasn't, work, wasn't getting in great shape, I'm going to join a new one. You can join all the gyms in the world, but if you don't address why you don't actually want to work out, you're not going to change, right? So let's dig layers deep. Notice, just start this week, okay? Because we're going to dive into another layer deep next week. But this week, notice what you notice, and then honestly interrogate the story that you tell yourself about what all those things mean. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the wisdom of Jesus who points us to our hearts, who, who uh, implores us to go to another level, 
who is, uh, who doesn't, is not content with letting us just sit there on the surface and, and kid ourselves, lie to ourselves, lie to others. God, I pray in this series we can get gut-level honest with ourselves, with others, not to be judged, not to feel awful, but to be honest so that we can transform, so that we can become who you're calling us to be, so that we can have a new future, that we can uh, reach the potential that you have placed inside of us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.